0: Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to another episode of Finding Refuge. Today's interview is with Corrine Bell. And we had a lovely conversation about birth and destruction and creation and perimenopause and surrender. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode. Let me tell you a little bit more about Kareen. Corrine Bell is the founder and co dreamer for the Rooted Global Village. She's a bicultural Black woman, a speaker somatics educator, practitioner, somatic abolitionist, and scholar activist in training focused on deepening an understanding of the impacts of trauma and oppression on our lives, and liberatory and decolonial frameworks and traditional indigenous approaches to trauma, healing, and community building. The most important thing you could know about her today is that she feels most authentic, most joyful when living from the heart. She embraces curiosity and wonder as compass points and embraces research as an act of reverence for and curiosity about life. Her love and dedication to her children fuel a fire for this orientation. She believes in the healing made possible at the personal and collective level by the work we do through transforming experience in our bodies today. She combines continued practice and study in somatics with studies in decolonial depth psychology with a focus on community liberation, indigenous and eco-psychologies at Pacifica Graduate Institute. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Corrine, to this um, episode of Finding Refuge. I'm excited to share space with you. So thank you for saying yes to
1: being here with me today. Thank you for the invitation, Michelle. I really appreciate it. I look forward to the conversation. Yeah. And
0: we have not actually met in person. Um, but we have a friend in common, Aaron Trent Johnson, who is, was a guest on the podcast, and um, in season three, and I was also introduced to you in the somatic abolitionism course in the communal consultation, so very excited to dive, dive in today, and I'd love for you to share some about, and I was sharing with you before I hit record, about your path and who you are so listeners can get a sense of who you are and what you're practicing and um, moving with these days.
1: I love the question. And I also, I just have to laugh a little bit because, and I I don't know if this is true for you too, Michelle, but like, when it comes to where to begin, I hardly know anymore. (laughs) You know, I feel like it can change from day to day. Um, What is the origin of any of our kind of pathways? It feels so um, multidimensional, so nebulous, so hard to define or pinpoint, but I mean, I think if I were to give it um, a starting, a kind of a, the, the point at which I really became conscious that I was on a very kind of distinct path, even though I didn't have any definition for it, any real language for it, I would think I would say it was when I became a mother. And I would say it was even when I became a mother for the second time when I had my daughter, um, I kind of faced this crisis that i didn't like i said didn't have language for at the time it was fully in my body and it was i think represented best by this experience i had one time my my partner and i were out with the kids and they're only 16 months apart so two very small children my daughter was like maybe only a couple months old and i'm walking along the bank of a river and i'm just repeating to myself I can't. T- I can't be responsible for this. I can't be responsible for this. Like I, I was beside myself, and I knew it even at the time because I have an amazing partner who is an amazing father, um, and I had no concerns about their, you know, general well-being, you know, clothing them and feeding them and all of that. It was another dimension entirely that had to do what it. It had to do with what it takes to create the conditions for a new being in this world to thrive. And I think it was also a kind of an unconscious acknowledgement that I had housed within my own body the legacies of um, not just the trauma, also the resilience and the creative creativity and all the wonderful things we can inherit, and also the trauma that we can inherit at the time I think my even my most basic understanding of it limited it to my own experience growing up right and I had a lot of experiences in childhood that um were were very very challenging and had some pretty toxic relationships with the adults in my life um you know some abuse um for many many years of my life and I think it was just this moment of realizing how much I could potentially pass on to my children if I wasn't conscious of what's what was there and the patterns. And I'm talking more about like the developmental trauma pieces, right? Like mm-hmm. the kind of behavioral patterns you can pass on without even being aware that you're passing them on. And again, like I said, at the time, I didn't have the language for all of that just yet. It was manifesting as this freak out moment. (laughs) Like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I just don't know how I'm going to do this. So, you know, I had had in various forms, a spiritual path, a journey that I was on for many years already, like many of us, Mm -hmm. I had studied a lot of the world's, um, you know faith traditions and mystical traditions i was pretty deep in that world for a while um had a contemplative practice that was pretty important to me for a long time um and what was coming up was um a new kind of level of awareness that my body as we now know had encoded so much um in the form of um you know, memories, you know, from past experiences that I had, as we know now through Resuma Menachem's work, the experiences of my ancestors. And it was, I think that level of awareness that, that at the level of the body that slowly kind of dawned on me, like this is, it's not just about kind of meditating something away. And I have a very, very deep love and appreciation for meditative practices and contemplative practices, but there was like another level there. Like, I need to understand how this has impacted the way I have become oriented in my body, the postures I take, the gestures I make, the, um, you know, the response my body has to different scenarios and situations. It was, it was something was being asked of me at a whole new level that really came home when I became a mother.
0: Yeah, thank you for beginning there, right? In response to who who are you and what is your path and and connecting your experience of becoming a mother mm. to an experience of reorientation in in the body. And I also really felt the responsibility, right? Like if I don't understand this more deeply, what what might I pass on? Yeah. Um, that I, that I actually don't want to pass on or perhaps don't want to carry anymore for yourself. Like I felt that as you were the great responsibility of, of birthing and mothering and parenting and stewarding and Mm. um, creating conditions for thriving.
1: And um, thank you.
0: Yeah. It it reminds me, I was writing earlier today about portals and Mm. uh, destruction and chaos creation and how destruction is part of creation. It totally. I was like, "Ooh, we're in the portal again." With your response when you said that, it's like the theme of the, the day, time really. But today, I like started at six thirty a.m. writing about that portal and am thinking about that and how you described birthing and 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 I think the continuation of the process of creation and destruction. And it's making me want to ask you, and you don't have to answer this, but like I've never um, birthed a child from this body and, but I have created many things and it does feel like there is a process of destruction, which might actually just be evolution that happens when we birth something. And so I'm just wondering if you, um, might share a little bit about that because I also think it's relevant to what's unfolding on the planet right now.
1: Oh, love the question. Love, love, love the question. And everything you said about creation and destruction absolutely feels right on for this whole experience that I had. So um, I would love to actually share part of my birth story, birthing story, um, with my daughter in that regard. Um, and also maybe a little bit about what happened after that day uh, by the river, because I had to die. I And I even, it's funny. It's not ha-ha funny, <laughs> but it's interesting. You know, I'm at the time, because um, I went into a pretty intense place um, after the birth of my daughter, and I remember being in the office of a chiropractor one day, and all I could say almost on repeat was like, I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm dying. And I knew even when, as I was saying it, it wasn't a physical death. Um, but that's all I could, that's all I could repeat. You know, I actually did a, I gave a TED talk once on, um, TEDx talk, I should say once on the birthing experience I had with my daughter, because it was so radically different from the one that I had with my son, who was the first born and, you know, going into it, I had all these int- intentions for what that experience would be like. You know, all the things, and and even though you you know, hopefully, you know to um, you know you can have a plan, but the best laid plan is you know <laughs> second to the actual experience. It's <laughs> you can definitely have a plan. It's good to have a plan, and then you know, one of the most important things you learn is that, or I learned, I should say was that um, surrender, trust and surrender are probably the two most important experiences you can have going into or 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 notions um, you can embrace going into an experience like that. With my son, I ended up having to have a lot of medical intervention um, and thankfully everything turned out all right. And I'm grateful that um, there were people there who could... You know, intervene in a way that would result in both of us being healthy and safe. With my daughter, I I wanted to know if it was possible to have another kind of experience of birthing. And when I when I when I say that, what I mean is, you know, I I think so much about how culturally we were taught, we're given certain narratives about how an experience is supposed to be what it's like it's in our books in our tv on our tv it's in the movies and it all it represents the and i'm talking about vaginal birth in this regard um but it represents vaginal birth as a uh an experience that involves a lot of suffering and pain and uh And I want to acknowledge that, you know, with my son, I experienced a lot of those things. It was a very difficult experience. But I wanted to know for myself, could I have another kind of experience? Like, is it even possible? And how will I know unless I'm able to confront some of the narratives that are telling me that this is the experience I'm supposed to have? And this this stuff is biblical, right? Right. Like we go back to Genesis and we know this was like, this was Eve's fate, right? To, uh, and all, all birthing peoples beyond Eve um, to experience the pain of childbirth. So I started getting really curious about how other beings experience childbirth. So I was looking to examples of other people who, you know, other human beings who birth. Um, little people. I was looking into the animal world. I was watching videos and I was so intrigued by the presence and the calm that is often so palpable in some of those examples. And so I, I think I said before I had a contemplative practice for a while. And so I was like, well, you know, what would happen if I brought mindfulness, right? Like that, that practice to to birthing. I I wasn't totally sure how to do that. And so I had some guidance from like hypnobirthing at the time. I didn't do the practices in hypnobirthing, if anyone's familiar with that. But what I loved about it, um, and I don't know how familiar you are with this book, but first of all, it describes the uterus as the most powerful organ in the human body. I didn't know that. It was so cool. And it has these muscles that are Um, that move both vertically and horizontally to help facilitate the, you know, the movement of the the child through the canal. And simultaneously, and and if you know this, then you know how beautiful this is, there's a symphony of hormones between the baby and the body of the birthing person. And it's, it was so Beautiful to me, the way this book talked about the process that I kind of fell in love with it, and then I think this 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 concept, this notion of like what it, what it would mean to ride the crest of the wave, right? Like as like as the contraction is coming in, and I started to kind of practice with it. And the first moment I I had opportunity I had to practice with this was when it, was when I had a Braxton Hicks contraction. So for anyone who's not familiar. It's when basically, you know, leading up to the birth of the child, your uterus starts to contract. These almost like they call them practice contractions, right? And I was sitting at home one day, I was sitting on the sofa and all of a sudden one started to happen and I was there and I was present and I noticed something really interesting. And that was as my, as my uterus was contracting, my belly was getting hard, like really, 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 really hard. And I started to tense around the contraction. So the contraction's happening, right? But on top of that, because it's like, oh, what's happening here in my back? My back is like, and it's contracting along with it because I'm anticipating something. I'm anticipating the pain, right? And so I was like, oh, that was interesting. That was really interesting. So now this was wonderful. This was great. So now I'm going to take every Braxton Hicks contraction that I have leading up to birth. And I'm going to practice with it as the contraction starting instead of tensing. I'm going to be conscious to see if I can give myself over to it and let it happen and trust, trust my body that it knows what to do. That was scarier than I thought it would. I I think the concept was a lot easier to embrace than the actual doing of it. But what it resulted in was for me, (laughs) one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in my life. So um, I think it was about six hours from the time I started having contractions with my daughter until the time she came, she came into the world. Um, But I was in this bath, in, the, in, a, in a little room, I was in a hospital in, um, in Switzerland, where I used to live. And my, my partner, my husband, was in the room with me. And he was sitting on a chair next to the tub that I was in. And I was just going through this process. Every time a contraction would come, I would meet it as if I was surfing the crest of a wave. And it would, it would be rising, 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 rising peaking falling, falling 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 and it was it became a meditation and my practice was only to stay with the process to open up to the process to give myself over to the process to surrender myself to the force i kid you not people i don't know if people believe me and it almost doesn't even matter the way i described that experience to people afterwards i was like it didn't hurt I didn't experience pain. It was sensationful, But it wasn't painful. And here's how I know the difference. At one point during the process, my partner was getting bored because I was like so in my process that like he didn't know what to do with himself. So he was getting bored. So he comes over to the tub where I'm laying and he picks up a thermometer out of the tub and starts like, playing with it. I don't know, he's splashing around or something like that. And a contraction was just starting. And I I start splashing water in his face to get him to like, get away, go sit down. And I didn't want to speak because I wanted to stay really focused and in my body. And he didn't get the message. So then I got annoyed. So for about 30 seconds, I was like, I was so annoyed. And then I felt so much pain it was so painful so after that contraction passed i said honey i'm gonna need you to go sit down in that corner over there don't move don't speak don't (laughs) don't do anything and he did to his credit and uh yeah shortly thereafter my my daughter was born and i went back into that experience and i was so deep in it that even between the, the the last contractions i had i was falling asleep for a few seconds in the water At the very, very end, after my daughter was out, my husband was like, That was amazing. And I was like, Yeah, that was amazing. And I never want to do (laughs) (laughs) that part. (laughs) It really was amazing. I think I wanted to share that. I, you know, there's, there really is so much, you know, in that story for me, to your point about like the destruction is as, as a really important part of the process of creation. There was an act, that act of surrender, that act of kind of getting out of one's own way and abandoning the narratives that can serve to define the experience you're going to have. There's so much in there, I think, for us, even in the work we're doing in the world, so much, I think, you know, even coming through in your book, A Space for Us, There's so much around the limitations on our imagination that are placed as a product of, right, the project of racialization, of white body supremacy, of coloniality. They they have the potential to define and limit how we can know ourselves and how we can experience ourselves, how we can experience each other. And there is this, there is this, um, I think thing we're being asked to do that has to do with abandoning those older narratives and those paradigms that tell us about our experience and to give ourselves over into unknowns. I mean, that experience for me, I know what birth is, but I mean, when I was in the throes of it, I didn't know, you're trusting a force that feels so much bigger than you. That's how I felt at least. And it had, it, it was, my, my body was in full control and I just needed to get out of the way. And it was a powerful learning in that experience for me. There's so much in
0: what you, I have like notes over here, almost a page from what you just <laughs> shared about um, surrender and getting out of the way and reclamation too, and sovereignty mm. as yes. well. Yes. Yeah, and the di- discernment and difference and pain and riding the wave of experience and knowing that we can do that and that redefinition of paradigms and narratives and who we believe ourselves to be. Um, and I love that the th- the theme is of it is birth and destruction and right death and creation and all of that happening and how it was encapsulated in in your experience of birthing. Your daughter, in particular, is the story you were sharing about. And you, when you describe the uterus and the muscles moving vertically and horizontally, and the symphony of of hormones, I you may not know this about me, but I'm a beekeeper. And when oh. you started to talk about yeah, birth, I was like, oh, I've seen my hive swarm at least three times, and the the experience I've witnessed is counter to. um uh, the narratives around birthing being a painful experience because when a when a hive releases a swarm, they are giving birth to a swarm. I mean, that is what is happening. Wow! And um there's so many more details than that, but that is how it's described and and how I've experienced it when I've been lucky enough to be here when they've released a swarm from the hive to go um wow. split the hive into two with it with the queen and and they go and how it's like, I mean Jubilant is what it feels like, and the the sound that they make, and and also that contraction and opening, what they're doing and surrendering. So re- that image came to mind as you were like, "This is what the muscles are doing, and this is the hormones are released." And and I that you wanted it to be different. And I was like, "Oh, that sounds like the energy of a swarm being being released, and that it's something to be celebrated, not something to be feared." And yeah. so I just I love this redefinition of what birthing be that in the way you described or birthing something else what it can what it can be like um, how it can feel absolutely and, yeah and the surrender i'm i'm curious to hear more about this i don't know what we're doing right now or where we're going or and i'm actually someone who's quite comfortable with uncertainty i think
1: i mean who knows We <laughs> might be
0: tested later this afternoon Right. Or in in 10 minutes, it could
1: happen. That's real talk. Yeah.
0: And I feel like I've worked to be in a place where I expect uncertainty and where I can lean into the honeybees of help with this, the darkness and the unknown and the mystery. And um, I don't know what's unfolding in different realms. So I'm like somebody who is oriented in this in this way of I'm here in time and space, but I'm probably others in other spaces, too, right now. And I'm feeling a lot of heartbreak in response to what is happening here in this Mm. plane and the relative Mm. plane. Mm. And I feel like the lessons you just offered around birth and about birthing and destruction and dying and surrender and trusting they're like medicine for what I think we, the collective, what we need to do right now in response to what is going on. And I just wonder if you would share some about that from your perspective and lived experience. Um, because the reason I ask this is because the while I'm someone who is comfortable with uncertainty and mystery and the unfolding in the cosmic plan, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still like human in a body mm-hmm. wondering what the heck is happening and why we, the collective, why we're making the decisions we are and Absolutely. What will bring us back into our bodies so we can operate in a different way. So that's where the question's coming from. Like we actually also need tools and strategies and skills to be able to a get to that surrender and trustful place. So that's that's the spirit of the question and where it's coming from.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. First of all, so cool about the beekeeping. So intrigued. I want to hear more at some point. Um uh, but yeah, I really resonate so much with how you described. Your own relationship with both the, yeah, the uncertainty and the mystery and the trusting of whatever the the cosmic unfolding that we're little specks, little beings, part of, and the real. I mean, it reminds me of like um, that kind of dance we're always doing between the very real lived realities and the imaginal possibilities, right? it's a constant dance and i feel it too all the time every day every time i look at the news um we need i think the way i the way i i see it a lot these days is i feel like as somebody who does move in the world with relative safety right i and i i'm not in a part of the world where i have to at least fear for my safety at the level that we know there are people who are really, they're experiencing life and death daily, moment to moment. And I feel like as someone who doesn't have that experience, I feel a sense of responsibility to do another form of activism, maybe alongside ones that are tending to the most urgent matters of our time right there's there's i think there's many many lanes to activism uh, many layers i would say and i've started to think about it almost like imagine it like as layers of sediment right where some of the the uh, the upper layers are shifting very very quickly they're moving very quickly there are people who have to get out they're out in the street they're contacting their congress people they're marching they're protesting they're um, petitioning, they're doing all of those things that, um, are also strategies. They're also important activist strategies for certain, uh, crises that we're dealing with in our world. And then also there's this, there are these other layers of activism that I feel like we, um, you know, that least that I feel like I I am involved with and need to be involved with that have to do with tending this what we I keep calling it deep earth activism because it feels um the the arc of it is longer. It's longer than my lifetime. It's about tending, it's about right, like tending soil, it's about um, infusing the soil with with certain nutrients. It's about changing the conditions of culture. It is about you know, um, as Resma talks about, new culture creation. That's not something that's going to have um, an immediate. Well, it doesn't have an, a, a a knowable answer right now. It doesn't have a, a known pathway. It doesn't. There's no map for it. Um, and it re- it's going to require something very different of us it's going to require us to to get to that place i also feel like i'm someone who is relatively good with uncertainty (laughs) like i can roll with i've rolled with it in my life um, on many occasions and i think it's also going to require Um, an ability for us to be able to withstand all that can be generated when we come into those moments together and we enter into the mystery because it can be a very scary place. And I, (laughs) I think I was telling someone recently, you know, when we're, especially when we, if we don't have our own care practices, if we don't have maybe a community of practice, um, if there's a way in which we are in this kind of reactive relationship with the world all the time, I feel like it's much easier for us to feel that level of crisis and urgency always at a 10, right? And when that is so alive, that experience is so alive in our bodies, like, like during, if like, if we were to have a zombie apocalypse, guess who I'm following? I'm following the person with the weapons, who know how to do deal with the zombies. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going that way because they know exactly where to go. They know where to get food. They know where to get shelter. I'm following them, right? When I'm feeling that level of crisis in my body, I think we're being asked, especially if, if we, if we can find those those self care practices, if we can find those community that community of care that allows us to kind of root into something deeper then we're being asked to tend to this other form of activism, this deeper earth activism that's going to have a much longer trajectory than our own lived lifetimes. Um, and it's going to be uh it's going to be all centered around the worlds that we pro- probably in this moment can't yet imagine. But we're, you know, we're engaging practices, we are doing things in a way in collectives that make the creative and imaginal possibilities open up to what that world, what those worlds could be, how they could look, how they could feel. We don't know yet. We always, we often say in rooted, which is the space that I'm involved with that we don't have a map. We, we, you're not coming into a space like rooted to find answers. You're coming into a space like rooted to be in the question with us because we're in it too and we're guided by an ethic of care and a care ecology that we create that's important those are our compass points they they help us navigate the unknown even if we don't have the map but that's i feel like where where i am and where a, a lot of people are starting to to i don't know i think there are people who are who are also there and i think that's a big ask that we're, um, we're being presented with right now. I mean, to me, it sounds like it is a big
0: ask. And also part of the reason why it feels so big and maybe different for people is because of the the trusting and what we cannot see, haven't yet created are in the process of creating together might try and it might not work out. And, you know, it's, and the, the immensity of, what's going on. I think those things can collide and, yeah. and really difficult to trust and be in that place of surrender and also that generative space of of imagining, right? What is what is possible. I go back and forth between are we imagining something new or are we remembering something old? And maybe they're the same. Yeah. I don't know. I think I both. And I'm like, we're remembering. <laughs> I think we're just remembering, right? what we're doing both. And I was, I was just curious to, yeah, hear your take on that because often I feel like this is a process of reckoning. This is a process of remembrance. This is a process of us innovating Mm -hmm. um, new ways of being or ways of being that feel new to us, but maybe resonant within our ancestral lineage and line. So that's, I'm curious about that and what you've, how you think about that? Because sometimes I get myself, I'm like, we're doing one or the other, but I'm not very binary that way, but it can feel like this. I'm in the future. I'm in the past.
1: Yeah. I'm right
0: here, right now. And so I get in this, what are we doing right now? So.
1: I love the question and and thank you for bringing it up. I mean, honestly, I, I feel like it is for me a both. And, and, There's something, I mean, it almost reminds me of maybe a mindfulness practice where you might say, well, this moment right now feels similar to other moments I've experienced before, but it's not the same. Mm -hmm. It's just not the same. It's, 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 it is its own unique, you know, um, birthing, um, you know, moment of like, I mean, there's so many, there are so many factors that collude to create the experience I'm having right now. So I think even with something like, of course, there are, there's remembrance, right? Happening when we're engaging again with ancestral practices and technologies um, and memories, even. And yet they're meeting where where they're meeting us, where we are. Um, to your point, I think is birthing something that we can't yet know or understand. It will it will never be about going back to some right, some pristine, pure idea of a of a past. I don't think it's more um, some hybrid of a uh, future that we're entering into. That is, you're right. I think I think you're right. A combination of these factors. There was something that you said I wanted to to speak to that was really intriguing to me, but. I'm not sure if this is a totally coherent thought yet, but something that I think about quite a lot is, and maybe part of what makes all of this so scary at times is just how deeply ingrained it is for so many of us, um, at the level of family, at the level of our communities, and I even like include like a, you know institutions, education systems, culture, not to trust ourselves. We don't know, experts know, authorities know. I mean, in even in the birthing experience, right? How many of us come to, you know, have this relationship with the body and with the process as one of almost like a passenger, like I'm just along for the ride, but you're the you're the doctor, you know best, and I'm just gonna trust everything you tell me. And of course there's some there's a there's a relationship there that it, there's some reciprocity there that that also feels important and helpful. But my experience growing up and I know a lot of the people that um I grew up around and with in this culture and I'm referring right now to kind of like dominant US centric kind of culture, Eurocentric. There is this relinquishing of an awareness of and uh, being guided by the body, right? And, and from moment to moment. That was something that also became really, I became really acutely aware of when my children were, were younger. And I could see from their perspective or from an outside perspective how often and in how many little ways um, children are guided outside of their own bodily experience and the, the internal compass that they're born with to know like this this feels right, this doesn't feel so good, the kind of natural push and pull of each moment and how we're being guided. Even the quote-unquote little things like not being able to use the bathroom when your body is telling you I have to go to the bathroom or I'm hungry, ignore the signal, or it's not time for that. You know, it's hug this person even though your body is saying don't, I, I don't want to do that, you know, override, override, override. And so, as we know, where I think a lot of this, the capacity for us individually and collectively to enter into the kind of space where both, I think that is part of the reclamation for me, right? Is coming back into relationship with that bodily knowing again, mine and ours together. And then being able to lean into the the, uh, the unknown and the mystery of what that's going to birth in the future, I mean, it, it all feels so aligned. It feels so concurrent. I appreciate you
0: sharing more about that and, and trust in particular and, and the narratives many of us have internalized about not trusting ourselves and also the differentiation and, and for example, how I might be as an adult, right. Versus a child and the way I agree when I've, been around children and witness them, they're led in a different way. And I think much more connected to intuition and that listening and then systems get in the way, right. And disrupt that and conformity, right. And, and having to fit into certain spaces yes. and worms and for survival, or that's what's being modeled and many other reasons too. And the, the practice of getting back to the body, right. The embodiment practice and that, um, Listening piece as well. so i'm I'm glad you spoke to it because I think in a lot of ways it normalizes what people experience, right? So many of us experience not listening to the cues that our bodies are sending us. But there's deep wisdom in the body, right? Yes. what would it be
1: like we be like if we listened to the body and had space to do that more? and that discernment, right? Like the listening, I think that that feels like a key part. It's like, it's the listening and learning to trust what's there, but not necessarily as the truth or do you know what I'm talking about? So I do, I I always, I always feel like I have to qualify that because I had to qualify it for myself when I, when I learned about um, just how intuition is itself can, what, what we call intuition can sometimes be uh, very much rooted in some of our early experiences, right? Like, so I can have, um, it, it, so what I'm trying to say, it's much more, I think for me about that discernment, that ability to, it reminds me of like the, the importance of validation, Mm -hmm. that we can develop a relationship with ourselves and with each other where we can validate the experience we're having without it meaning that it's right or wrong good or bad truth or false right true or false it is what it is we might come to some understanding of what it is or some we might be able to develop some meaning making around it and why it's there but it's less important why it's there that it's there and that we can we can trust that it's it's it has some basis for either it's trying to guide us into something or it's, it's, you know, uh, it's leading us to some understanding of maybe um, an experience we had or some relationship that we have with the moment that we're in. Right. I say that just to say an informed intuition and discernment feels like such an important qualifier for me these days. um, Because I feel like we can talk about intuition sometimes in a way that is used to like speak about something as if it were the truth, right? Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I've had that experience, and 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 do you feel like that's important? That um, the discernment piece, and and also the narratives about what intuition is and how we access it, and the coming back to intuition, and um, so I appreciate that a lot. What you named about it, and what you're uplifting about multiple truths being present, which is something I talk about a lot. Um, mm. And also the action we take from, like, I might know something, right. have deep wisdom, but I ha- I could take different actions in response to that, which is the discernment piece or how I felt yeah. that from you. Yeah. And that, that does feel like an important piece to add to the listening part of this, like what do we yeah do with, with what is revealed as we're listening. Um, and, and of course, how are we listening to one another and the, the planet and communicating in that way too, and all the different ways we could receive
1: messages and, and be in a
0: practice of deep listening.
1: It's like the the importance of the pause, right? Like, I don't know what's going to happen with this yet. Like, I, I can be, we can sometimes be very quick to become aware of the experience in our bodies. Okay, something's emergent, right? Mm-hmm. I can describe the texture of it, the 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 shape of it, the movement of it. The density, the lightness of it. I can get into all of that, and if I stay there, then I'm leaving some space for what it is, or what it means, or what, to your point, right? Like what I should do about it. Right. Um. It's that. It's that. The quickness that when we don't have that ability to pause to go from the experience in the body to the interpretation and the action based on Mm -hmm. that interpretation, and it's that. That pause is hard. It's hard for some folks. It's hard for every, I would say um, it's hard for me as a practiced person in the pause. We have learned to navigate our worlds in a way that we don't have to, you know, we do a lot of things unconsciously on automatic um, and having that ability to really pause and notice how we're taking a kind of a snap judgment in a moment based on a feeling we're having in our bodies and we're creating an interpretation from it. And the conclusion it's leading us to, like, oh, that's definitely how that is. (laughs) Right. Oh, oh, that's definitely how that person is. That's definitely the situation. Well, maybe, maybe, we don't know. What could happen? What could it be? How could we experience it? We don't know if we give it just a little bit more space. We don't always have that luxury, right? There are times when you should not think too Mm -hmm. much about something and you do need to just act. Because it's in the interest of safety and there are other times where the pause um the pause might reveal something you weren't expecting
0: yeah I also think the pause is a place to regulate too because often that like yes there are times when we need to take action right away because of safety to your point and my nervous system is designed to be hyper vigilant based on being in a black body right in a white supremacy culture and so it has been a process to learn when I can pause, right? And, and what can happen in that pause in the nervous system,
1: yeah. because
0: there's a habitual pattern of, I'm going to react as if this is unsafe or I am unsafe, which I'm not judging. That's just my condition because of cultural conditions that are in place. And there has been an unlearning around that. And I imagine that's true for many people who experience marginalization or oppression or, or dominance or the hierarchy of bodies in the way that we are talking about it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I love, I love the pause though. I'm somebody who loves that and likes to work in that place and just be in that practice more deeply. And I want to ask you, this might be my final question uh, for now because I have a thousand other questions. (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you about care practices because you mentioned them earlier and I I know we've like been on a journey talking about birth and destruction and creation and the portal and surrender and trust. And I'm curious to know, even if you're someone who, who is has practiced, right. Um, within mindfulness and contemplative practices and a somatic practitioner, right. And all of the work mm-hmm. that you said about reorienting to the body, I'm wondering how you're caring for yourself now, Mm -hmm. because I think we can have like a toolbox with a thousand tools in it and be very practiced. And yet sometimes the moment can, for me can feel like my tools do not actually meet this
1: Mm -hmm. this moment.
0: And so I just want to uplift, like, what are you
1: doing to care for yourself during these times? Thank you for the question. It's a, it's a good one. And I can really relate to what you're talking about with that it's like, Oh, I got this whole beautiful toolkit. And like in, in the midst of it, in the throes of the moment, you're like, it can be, it can feel so overwhelming that the tools feel inaccessible. And I, I don't love the word tools. And I, I, I don't mean yeah. to, I mean, like, I know I use it too. I use it too, but let's see, what am I doing? What am I doing? I do, I've done a lot of things. It's funny. I, I have these kind of practices, these things that I do. I, I have a regular meditation practice that's really important to me. Uh, I, I used to call it my non-negotiable. Like it's the one thing and it can still, it can still take backseat to my life, right? Like when things get really busy or I've got a lot going on, and yet every time I come back to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I now I remember why this is my non-negotiable. There, for me, it is, um, oh, I can feel it in my body so strongly, even as I start to talk about it. It's this deep kind of rootedness and anchoring and coming back to that, that word trust in my life as being this sort of intricate, interconnected part of being of everything and kind of the acknowledgement of that relationship of trust in how I'm being guided. Um, whether that guidance is coming to me through my dreams or via an ancestor or from the earth, like the ability to pause, to drop in and to be in that relationship, that deep relationship and to listen is truly a non-negotiable for me. I notice when I when I don't do it, um, i my energies are s- so much more easily pulled in all these different directions. I come out of my center, and when I'm out of my center, the winds of life, I, I kind of just go in the direction that they blow, rather than you know knowing being in a relationship with my center and responding to life from there. It's a very radically different place. For me, you know. On top of that, I would say, as a person in my later forties who is going through perimenopause, okay. Me too. A, okay. <laughs> we could well, have another well.
0: episode about that. I was thinking about it earlier with Destruction Number. I was like, <gasps>
1: Oh did we boy! Go there?
0: Yes, I Michelle. See you. That's what
1: I'm Michelle. I mean, look, maybe you, me, and Aaron we could hop. I mean, listen. Yes, it is no joke. The perimenopause is real folks and it's um, talk about portals to, yes. to your, you use the word portal portals into another version of self mm-hmm. um, and in a, into a mystery and a whole new mysterious experience. Um, yeah. Perimenopause has been such a profound awakening for me around so many things. It's been a, it's been on one hand, um, it has guided me in many ways to take care of my body. And I think I've always been relatively conscious, health conscious. But this has required a whole new level. Mm-hmm. You know, our ability to uh manage, <laughs> and I'm doing the quote today, to manage the our the way that we might have been kind of maladapted to our experiences in the past, it starts to fall apart in perimenopause. This is, this is my experience, at least, you know, when we're younger, we have more energy we, and we can put that energy to use to manage things that we want to rather not, you know, look at or embrace or change or transform. So we can just manage them and that ability to manage with perimenopause. I I liken perimenopause, perimenopause to like an extended PMS, period yes. and if ready- <laughs> for years for years right? year. yes exactly so for anyone who knows PMS um that experience it, you know for me it was always like the veil was thinner mm-hmm. during that time i couldn't manage things well i couldn't take on more than i could actually handle for extended periods of time that was the time where the body was like nope Um, That would be like, you know, I wouldn't have the capacity to override as well as I could when I was in my follicular phase and Mm -hmm. I could just pump more energy into it. And I think what it's resulted in is this this really like this inability to manage all of that anymore. Now I have a lot I have to have a lot more moments of surrender and allowing Mm -hmm. and trusting and giving over to and be like, no, actually I can't do that. No, just saying no more of the time, honoring truly what's there. And, you know, trusting, I think, even against that part of me that might be operating from a scarcity mentality that's like, oh, if I don't say yes to this, they they're not going to ask me again. And you know, like, yeah, yeah. oh, what if I don't get another opportunity? Or what if everything falls apart? What if everything falls apart? What if everything falls apart? So this a self-care practice has been and of course the med- meditation is an important part of that has been the giving over to trusting the now trusting where i can't override anymore really ner- like really prioritizing rest prioritizing sleep um prioritizing nutrition in a way i mean to a whole new level like paying attention and also following the cycles and rhythms of the body and I think the last thing I would say is I have a really deep appreciation for maybe just honoring where we are in any particular moment on any particular day. I think I'm someone because I want to re- I want to be regarded as, and I want to try to regard others or aspire to regard others as these ever un- unfolding beings that can surprise us. That means that who I am right now is just a snapshot of a moment, right? But I get to become... <laughs> I get to become anything I want to become. And it means that I can have a difficult day. I can have a a bad podcast (laughs) interview Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I'm meaning that maybe I'm not on my game. This is how I am today. This is what's here. And there's an okayness about that, that I feel that I, I think is really new to me and that I really love and appreciate because it's not a representation of all that I am i like you am this vast beautiful cosmic mystery and so i get to be that and i get to remember that and that means yeah i get to evolve that's a self-care practice right
0: absolutely yes <laughs> all of it and that and i yeah i appreciate your awareness of that and, and the permission I feel you are giving mm. others in like, this is who you are. This is who I am right now in this moment. This is it. And this is what you, what you get in this moment. This what we get. <laughs> It will shift because we're always shifting and evolving mm. and changing. And, but the room, the space that's made because of that permission. Yeah. And I, I just want to say, I love that we started with birth. And ended with perimenopause. I mean, <laughs> we did it all. We like, I was like, oh, I didn't know that's where we were going. And I was like, oh, of course, of course. That's because it's all, that's the cycle, right? That's and right. That makes I sense. I love that. It does make a lot of sense. And I also just want to thank you again for your wisdom and your medicine and your magic and flowing with me in this conversation and also just on this planet and for um, the beauty you bring to the world through practice and creation. Um, So thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Oh my goodness, that was very kind. Thank you so much, Michelle. And really right back at you, it's been such a beautiful conversation. I love the way you guided it with your intuitive um, conversational flow. It was really lovely. And I just want to say, I have not finished this book, but I have read sections of it at a time because I'm in a PhD program. And so I, I really have time to read anything that's not in that right now, but it is so beautiful. You did such a gorgeous job on this, in this book. I really hope that people listening really take the time to read it because it feels like really important contribution to the worlds we're trying to create and how we're going to get there. So thank you for that, Michelle. Thank you. I appreciate you uplifting a space
0: for us. And yeah, thank you for for taking time to be with it and read it as you can and for sharing about it.
1: Thank you, Michelle.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga, and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement, practices, as well as monthly divination readings. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book that came out in August of 2023. The book is titled, A Space for Us, A Guide for Leading Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Affinity Groups, published by Beacon Press. This book is a love song and a gift to Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, as well as People of the Global Majority. I encourage you to purchase it if you are interested in facilitating affinity groups for BIPOC and People of the Global Majority, and if you're interested in learning more about anti-racism work. In addition, many of you know, We Healed Together came out in April of 2023, And thank you for your support of We Heal Together. And I hope you continue to support it and work with it and move through the rituals and practices to build community and connection. Thank you so much and take care.